From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, joining us is Josh Lillowell, who will be telling us about air pollution and climate. So stay tuned for all of this here on the Grok Science Show. Welcome back to the program. Uh, with me right now is our very special guest, uh, Professor Josh Lilleveld, a uh, professor in atmospheric chemistry at the Mainz University and also the director of atmospheric chemistry at the Max Planck Research School in Germany. Dr. Lilleveld, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yes, thank you. So you've written a very relevant paper uh, that came out in the proceedings at the National Academy of Sciences uh, called Phasing Out Air Pollution Emissions. And in this paper, you and your team found out that fossil fuel-related emissions are responsible for anywhere between 3.6 and 5.5 million deaths per year. Um, I, I guess, first of all, just to get some uh, background, uh, these numbers seem similar to those published, say, by the World Health Organization, which... I believe estimates around 4 million people. Of course, there's always a little bit of uh, uncertainty in how these numbers are measured. Uh, Are you also including uh, indoor pollution, or is this only outdoor pollution? No, this is only outdoor pollution. And uh, uh, what we did here is make the distinction between fossil fuel-related and all other, I would call it, avoidable pollution sources. So the total number of premature deaths, it's actually a mortality rate rather than, you know, people individually dying, so that is something that needs to be understood. But the total uh, premature mortality rate is much higher, actually, than estimated previously. Mm-hmm. And this was also corroborated by uh, a paper that appeared in the PNAS in this same journal in 2018, in October. So we have two teams actually collaborating, also looking at the impact of air pollution, not only on health, but also on climate and the water cycle. Okay. So it's actually a, com- a combined study of these three components. So when we talk about air pollution, um, <coughs> it's a very complex topic. And there's, of course, the greenhouse gases, but then there's also the NOx, SOx emissions, as well as aerosols. In this study, are you looking at all the, you know, for example, the uh, all the criteria pollutants, or are you only looking at particulate matter? In, in principle, we look at all pollutants, but the health impacts and also the climate impacts are most relevant for a small selection of them. And that is especially because we are looking at long-term, so chronic health, health impacts. And for that, uh, fine particulate matter and ozone are most relevant. And both uh, fine particulate matter and ozone also have quite a strong effect on the climate. So they contribute to climate change, but in a different way than people used to think of uh, climate pollutants. Because most greenhouse gases, which includes ozone and carbon dioxide and methane, they warm the climate, but the particulates that are co-emitted or formed in the atmosphere uh, together with these greenhouse gases, they cool the climate. So we need to find the balance between these two and also the 
time frame in which these things are happening. And this is what we have studied here. So when you say cooling, you're talking about the albedo effect, right? Where these particulates reflect on the light back into space. Exactly. So we have particulates in, in the air that affect health, but also reflect uh, sunlight back to space. So, and that cools, cools the system, the climate system. So in, um, in your abstract, one of the uh, statements that you, reducing aerosols could increase uh, rainfall in, in certain parts of the world. But my understanding is that aerosols are nucleation sites for rain. Uh, so I'm just wondering what role that aerosols play in, in rainfall. That, that's correct. I mean, little, the small particles act as, as condensation nuclei for the cloud droplets. And the clouds, of course, develop the rain. And the rain then actually removes not only the water, but also the particles. This is the cleaning mechanism of the atmosphere. But what happens here is that the, the particles have a rather strong, rather localized cooling effect, not only over land, but also over the sea. And especially in monsoon regions, like, you know, West Africa, Southern Asia and Northeast Asia, and to some degree also Middle America, there the, the aerosol particles cool the surface and they prevent evaporation. So the limiting of evaporation, of course, also limits the amount of rainfall that can be developed in the monsoons. And this appears to be a rather strong factor. Because it's rather localized, the global means may not be so large, but the localized effects are really large. And of course, they have a large impact then on on, on drought regions uh, such as the Sahel and India and, and Middle America that have actually suffered in the, in the last dec- decades very much from drought. And we think that uh, at least part of it has been caused by these particular pollutants. One of the conclusions from, from the study is that if you remove all these emissions, um, it's still unlikely that we could limit, limit global warming to 1.5 degrees above the uh, pre-industrial levels. This is a level that the IPCC now says is necessary to prevent some of the worst effects of climate change. Is this because of the albedo effect that we cannot prevent this rise in temperature? Yes, that's exactly what is happening. Because if you, if you scale out fossil fuels, you of course also scale out the pollutants that are related to the fossil fuels as well as the greenhouse gases. And the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide, which of course is the, is the most important one, it is, has, it is a very long-lived gas in the atmosphere. So it means that even if you completely stop the emissions, the warming effect of these uh, emissions will linger for, for centuries. But ultimately, stopping these emissions will cool the system, but that will take centuries. Whereas if you stop the pollutants, it immediately has an effect. And since the pollutants, the particles have a cooling effect, if you remove them together with the greenhouse gases, this immediate effect will be warming. And in the short term, so in the first decades or even the first century, this warming effect is dominant. What this in effect means that if you scale out fossil fuels, which you would want to do to limit climate change and to limit all these health effects, you get a short-term warming. And uh, this will prevent us from from uh, achieving the 1.5 degree goal. And the argument that we're making here is that because of this, it's really urgent to stop these emissions because we think it's still possible to meet the two degree target. But it will only be possible because of this additional warming. It will only be possible uh, if we really uh, hurry up with uh, limiting these emissions. 
So you mentioned about these this rise in temperature when the the particulates are removed. Um, there's also um, the science that says that when you remove the particulates, you also produce more ozone because you're having more UV light that reaches the the surface. So does this mean that the health effects are are also present even if the emissions are removed? I think that the effects of UV radiation, even though you also limit ozone, uh, it's, it, they're quite they're quite limited. This is mostly the effect of stratospheric ozone. This is between, say, 10 and 50 kilometers altitude. If you change ozone there, this has a more dramatic effect on UV radiation. And ozone itself also has a negative health impact. So by limiting air pollution, you also limit the health effects of, of ozone. So actually, that is a beneficial effect for, for public health. Well, tell me a little bit about the study. How, what kind of data sets are you using to, to correlate the health effects to pollution levels? Are you using um, inventories that, for example, the IPCC um, puts together, or are you using satellite uh, data? Yeah, it is a combination, because in order to do the sensitivity studies, you need a model. Because if you have measurement data only, then of course you can make an inventory of the problem, but you cannot do any sensitivity studies in the real world. So by using satellite data and, and measurement station data to optimize the model, we can then use the model to do the calculations on how much the effect would be if you if you take certain actions. And this is what we have done. So we have studied the actions of, of reducing fossil uh, pollutants but also other pollutants, and look at the combined effect of, of, you know, on, on human health, which of course is beneficial because uh, actually the particles have a rather dramatic effect on human health, uh, but also they cause some warming if you take them out of the system. Sure. So among all the pollutants here, w- would you say the particulates are the most relevant? Or uh, would you say carbon dioxide monoxide, would they play uh, a greater role? In the long term for the climate, the carbon dioxide plays a major role because this causes a climate change that can not be, cannot be changed on, on, on the human time scale. So whatever we are emitting in terms of carbon dioxide, the effect that it induces will linger for centuries. So that, I think, is a very important long-term threat to society. And, uh, but the particles have a very short-term effect, and if you, if you stop emitting them, you immediately have a benefit. But the particulates have a very strong health effect. So we have now concluded with this study and also another recent one that the health impact in general of particulate air pollution among the globe is very comparable to that of smoking. And uh, the number of people that are affected by smoking and lose years of life uh, is about the same as the years of life lost related to air pollution. So it is really a very important uh, health risk, but it is an avoidable health risk. Of course, smoking is also avoidable, but uh, in a different way. With the particulates, the distance around the source makes determines how much exposure you get. Um, in your study, are you trying to correlate, or have you tried to correlate the health impacts of, say, particular power plant or highways where the traffic is bad? Well, in principle, you're right. If you live close to a strong source, you, of course, are exposed to higher concentrations. But we should also realize that most of these small particles are being formed within the atmosphere, chemically. So you're emitting things like nitrogen oxides from traffic and energy production, uh, ammonia from, from agriculture, and sulfur dioxide from coal-fired power plants. And these components, they mix 
and chemically, chemically reacting the atmosphere and form the particles. And of course, this takes some time of the order of hours to days. So it means that actually these particles that are formed in the atmosphere are not very localized. And of course, you have, if you have traffic in the area, it comes on top. So there the concentrations are higher. But it simply also means that the, partic the particle concentrations are not only high in the urban environment, they're also high in the suburban environment and even in the rural environment. And the concentration differences are actually not even that large. So I everybody see. is affected. You know, in the um, commercial arena, we have you know products like air purifiers and air sensors that uh, measure particulates at the size of 2.5 microns or PM 2.5. But with a lot of these combustion sources, we're actually talking about particulates which are much smaller than that, uh, perhaps on the order of, of a couple hundred nanometers or, or smaller. You know, in the long run, what, what should we be measuring? These finer particles or just the PM 2.5? Well, that's a very good question, uh, because what has been monitored for many years is uh, the larger particles, you call them PM10, they have 10 micrometer diameter or smaller, and in, in more recently PM2.5, because it was found that the smaller particles are more detrimental. But there are certainly studies that show that the very small particles, when you inhale them, they do not only penetrate deeply into the lungs, these very small particles can be directly taken up into the blood. So they can have a, perhaps an additional effect on, uh, on human health. But these measurements have not been done for very long yet. So the information on this is more limited, but it is important to measure them because it could very well be that, uh, that these very small particles are even, even worse for human health than, uh, than the somewhat larger ones. Fascinating. I, I certainly hope this field keep, keeps evolving. Um, I guess we're running a little bit out of time here. Uh, in terms of the science questions which are relevant, what do you think needs to be answered going forward? Yeah, there are, with, with respect to the health problem, uh, there are a number of uncertainties that really need to be resolved. You have mentioned one yourself about the very small particles. We need better measurements there. And we also must try to find which particles are more toxic than others. Because for the time being, with the information that we have, we cannot really find a difference between the different type of particles. And it is needed to study this in more detail because this also has implications for how you control the sources. Because not all sources uh, emit, the same, emit the same precursors or particles. So in order to be effective in improving human health, this information is really needed. I just want to say thank you again for or joining us. Do you have any last words you'd like to add about yourself or your research? No, I can only say that we will continue the work and uh, I'm happy to collaborate also across the ocean. Actually, we do that because uh, you can see that this is a paper between uh, European and, uh, and American scientists. And this is how it should be. Uh, science is international and we should collaborate and help inform the public. Dr. Lilavelt, thank you so much for joining us here on the Grok Science Show. You're most welcome, and thank you for your interest. And we were just talking to Professor Josh Lilavelt from Max Planck Institute in Germany. His recent work on air pollution and climate change was featured in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music.